All right, well, we're going to continue our series in Mark this morning. Um, Through the year, we've been in the Gospel of Mark. Um, I love the Gospel of Mark because it talks about Jesus' life and teaching, and it's short. That's what I like about Mark. It gets to the point. Uh, It's very concise. Like, if you just want an idea, like an overview of what Jesus was about, read the Gospel of Mark, and you'll see that there's teaching. There's also action. Uh, in Jesus's life. And so uh, in the first 10 chapters of Mark, it covers three years of Jesus's ministry. It's a, it, so it moves pretty quickly. But then the last week of Jesus's life before the cross, before the resurrection, Mark slows down and spends six chapters on that part. So what you see in Mark is you have 10 chapters covering three years of Jesus's life. And then as you get to the end, it, it slows down and you have six chapters just to, to show like what Jesus was, did in his last week here was really, really important. He said some really, really important things. Some really important things for us happened, uh, for us to know happened. And one of the interesting things that we're going to look at today, we're going to look at two stories that are, pu- that are put um, back to back in the book of Mark. And they're, they're, they're put together on purpose. And I want you to know, when you read your Bible, the way it's structured, the way the stories line up, all that communicates something. And so Mark gives us a story. He gives us two characters that Jesus interacts with. The first is a scribe, a teacher of the law, a very important person in the temple. Both of these stories happen in the temple. So the first is this teacher of the law, a scribe, and the second is a, is a poor widow. And what we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about the favor of God. What makes God smile? Who makes God smile? What does God look at and, and take joy in? And we're going to look at that between these two characters. One, uh, one the... Uh, the, the uh, important teacher of the law, and one, the poor widow. And what you need to know leading up to this, uh, this part of Mark 12 is that Jesus actually spent a lot of that last week denouncing religious leaders. He went after religious leaders, specifically around the area of hypocrisy. Jesus attacked hypocrisy. Jesus hates hypocrisy. Jesus hates it when people preach one thing and do another thing. Like, he hated hypocrisy, and so he went after religious leaders. And I want you to know, I'm standing up here as a pastor, open-handed today. What I I don't want there to be is cognitive dissonance. I don't want there to be a, uh, uh uh-oh, those teachers, when I'm teaching you right now, okay, I realize that. So this, I want you to know, this, this chapter puts me in the awkward spot of teaching it. Um, but I also want you to know that, that I know that God places the most scrutiny on the lives of leaders in the church. The most scrutiny. Um, he, he judges leaders the most. And so when I, when, when I share this today, know that I'm sharing it open-handed I want you to be able to examine my life, weigh what I say against how I live. Like, that's really important. Um, Because I don't want you to follow me or any other Christian leader just because they're a good speaker. 
um, or anything like that. I want you to follow, um, follow people God's put in your life because you, you trust the way they, they live, that they actually practice what they preach. And so I share this with you, knowing the weight of this and saying, hey, I'm going to be open-handed today. But yeah, this passage falls hard on leaders in the church, but really it falls hard on everybody. If anybody here struggles with pride, struggles with people-pleasing, or thinks about their image a lot, like, this is for you too, okay? So I, I, I know that's not just a certain group of people, that's all of us. Because what we want to examine today, this passage really gives us these two characters, and it acts as a mirror. It gives us a mirror to examine ourselves and say, who am I? Am I practicing what I believe? Am I practicing what I preach? Am I practicing what I tell others? Or is there a disconnect? And so we're going to look at these two stories. And while they're put back to back, it could be the case that, that it happened in sequence, or it could be the case that Mark just put them together to, to tell us something and, and to show us something. So they both talk about God's favor. What does God smile at? Who does God see? Sometimes we don't feel seen by God, but who does God see? And on the flip side, what makes God cringe? Have you ever wondered that? What makes God cringe? We get a lot of cringy stuff. If you're on social media at all, like it's all run on cringe, right? All the videos. Um, you know, poor Russell Wilson is really under the bus right now, if you follow sports at all. Um, his Subway commercials, if you've seen those, they are pretty cringy. Um, he has a sandwich called the Dangerous Sandwich. The, the reaction to his commercials were so bad, they pulled the sandwich off the menu. Poor guy. So, so we're going we're gonna to take that idea, because we see stuff that makes us cringe all the time. And we're going we're gonna to take that and, and focus in on ourselves and ask this question, are there things that we do that make God cringe? Are things that we do that make God cringe? Are we living in a way that doesn't match up with what we preach? We could say it another way. Do we have behaviors and hard attitudes that God finds offensive? It doesn't mean that God doesn't still love us, but are there, are there disconnects in our lives between what we, what we say and what we do? Because God takes hypocrisy very, very seriously. God cares. God's, God still doesn't like our sin, guys. God still hates it when we sin, right? And so we need to look and take, and take this, these words very seriously and, and, and see ourselves uh, in, this, in this passage. So we're going to go ahead and look at Mark 12 today and read the whole, the whole thing, the two stories back to back. It says this, As he taught, Jesus said, Watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces, have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. So there's the first part. Right after that, it says this. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, 
This poor widow has put in more, uh, put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. All she had to live on. So here we have two very different stories, two very different people, and, and two very different um, very different ways that God is looking at these people. So the first we've said is a teacher of the law known as a scribe. It's someone who studied their whole life to be in a formal teaching environment, had students in the temple, spent hours and hours reading scrolls, deducing how exactly to follow the law. Jesus talked about the burden that these scribes, these teachers of the law, placed on his people in Luke 11. He said this in Luke 11:46. He says, Jesus replied, and you experts in the law, woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. So that's what Jesus said about, about these teachers of the law, that they would give people burdens of guilt and shame and not help them. Just, just kind of load them down, but not do anything to help. And so he sees a cruelty in that. Like, don't just, don't just teach something that's difficult. Don't make, make things harder than they need to be. And at the same time, Jesus criticizes them for finding ways out of obedience. They knew the law so well that they could rationalize their way out of just doing simple obedience, loving their neighbor, serving people. Again, I'm preaching this with open hands. Um, and I, I just got to thinking, who would Jesus call out today? I think Jesus would call out a lot of people today. right? And some of this is individual leaders. Some of this I see is the church attaching themselves to political movements things like that. Like, I see that, but um, in a less serious, maybe, I mean, it is serious, but, but in, a, in, in, a, in a maybe more obvious way, I continue to be fascinated with the whole preachers and sneakers thing. Have you seen this? Like, it is crazy. The guy started this website um, called Preachers and Sneakers, and he took photos of, of prominent pastors um, that we might know of in $5,000 sneakers, you know? I, I learned some new. Ter I learned what I learned what Yeezys are. Apparently, they're really expensive sneakers. Um, but like five thousand dollars sneakers. I I, uh, I was watching a video online. There's a shoe shop owner in Portland. His name is James Hesse, and this was his whole opinion on the thing. He said, "If you're," and he's not a Christian, by the way. This guy's not a Christian. But he said, "If you're going to be a man of the Lord." You shouldn't be stunting on stage in really, really ridiculously expensive shoes. This is a direct quote. Some wires are crossed somewhere. Right? So he's saying, like, you know, why, why are we trying to, like, impress people with anything other than, or, than Christ? That's what I'm taking out of it. It's like, what are we doing preaching Christ who gave himself up and then yet flaunting wealth at the same time? There's a, I, I like how he said there's some wires crossed. You know, we, can, we get our wires crossed, too. When I talk about, co you know, cognitive dissonance, that's basically what it is. It's when we cross our wires. You know, we preach about a Jesus who emptied himself, who made himself low. He, Jesus is not a platform to, for us to prop ourselves up, right, and make ourselves big. And those crossed wires are obvious to the world. 
Jesus said about the scribes that they like to walk around in flowing robes. Like robes that say, I know what I'm doing, right? Like robes that communicate, I've studied a long time, guys. Flowing, flowing robes and to get respect in the, in the marketplaces, right? They want to be treated with respect. They want the most important seats in the synagogues and places of honor, it says, at the banquets. They're doing it to not get the, the, the uh, attention of God, but the attention of everybody else. Maybe really to maintain their power, Right? They have, to, they have to create this uh, illusion of being in a higher class. Jesus says, watch out for these scribes. Watch out for these scribes. We talked about this another week, but in the kingdom of God, there is no class break. There's no leader class and servant class in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, we are all part of the servant class. We're all part of the servant class. We have one head in the church, and that's Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is the one that binds us together, that teaches us when we read, when we read his word. And yes, God does gift some people with, with gifts of teaching, evangelism, gifts of apostleship. Um, he gifts people, but all of those are secondary to the fact that we're supposed to be Jesus said, whoever wants to be the greatest has to be the least, right? Has to be the least. And I, I you know, I, I joke about preachers and sneakers, but let's get real for a minute. Where do we find our worth? Who are we looking to for affirmation? Who are we looking to for affirmation? The scribe wanted to be noticed. He wanted people to value his intelligence so he dressed really nice and walked around, strutted around the, the marketplace, looking for compliments. Jesus wants people who just want his attention, who just want, who, who just want the affection of God. They don't need other people to see them as special. And I see, guys, in, in our church, we have a, a lot of people who serve quietly. And I love that. A lot of people who serve quietly, who do amazing things, not to get noticed, but just because they love God. Hard things, guys. There's a lot of ministry in this room and, and watching online. There's a lot that happens wanted, that, that isn't broadcast. And I want to tell you, God loves that. God loves that we just do it for him to be in his will, because we love God. I want you to know there's not one pastor in this church. There's a lot of pastors. There's a lot of people who love others well, who help guide them along, who help serve. And the point of this passage is don't make the world around you the audience. Make God your audience. Do what you do for God. The scribe wants his talent and knowledge on display. He wants the recognition. Jesus is saying over and over again, just get, get rid of that thought. Get rid of that desire. Just focus on me. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. Just, just serve, just love, because I loved you first. He has some hard things to say about the scribes. He says that they devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. 
They even make their prayers, their communication with God, not about God, but about everybody else. Like when we're praying in a group, how tempting is it sometimes to not really think about what we're saying to God, but think about what, what, what sounds good to everybody else, right? They devour widows' houses. That's a, that's a really harsh phrase, but what that means is that that they would kind of angle them themselves or, or build relationships with old, um, old ladies to get an endowment, basically, to, to live off of their wealth when, when they die. So that's what he means. He means there to secure estates and, and wealth. And so that's, that's what Jesus is saying. And so what Jesus is doing, he's setting up this scene for for this widow he's going to talk about, but he's basically undercutting all of the self-created image of man, right? The, 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 holy, the, the holier-than-thou image of, uh, of, these, of these men. And so for us, it calls us to have, no matter who we are, where we're at, what we do, it calls us to a, a humble place before Christ. Uh, it calls us to never leave a mentality of being a servant, Right? That we should not, like Jesus, not seek to be served, but to serve. And I'll tell you, in a culture like ours, that's really hard. Because our, cult- our culture tells us, you should get to a point where others are serving you. And that's success. But that's not success in the kingdom of God. You should never leave that mentality of, my life is to be poured out as an offering for God in f- into others' lives. Into to, to blessing others so you have this whole scene with the scribe and then look at who the lord favors after jesus warns about this scribe mark takes us to a scene where jesus is sitting in the treasury of the temple the temple in jerusalem was immaculate it was extravagant a little more extravagant than ctk blaine just a little bit they had more gold than we do although if you look closely we got some gold in the ceiling here but, but no, in this room, in this treasury, um, it, there were 13, they called them trumpets. There were 13 trumpets because they were like these, these big open containers that looked like trumpets. And these are the golden trumpets that people would come and they would drop their offering in. It was very open. It was very extravagant. It was very obvious. And so you can imagine there's just activity everywhere in this temple. And, it, and Jesus talks about how, how rich people came and dropped large gifts, and people noticed. Probably the scribes noticed, right? They dropped large gifts, but Jesus doesn't lock in on those large gifts. He locks in on a poor widow, on a poor widow that probably nobody notices, nobody sees. It doesn't say she was with anyone. It says she was alone. No one was really paying attention to her. She probably wasn't dressed to impress. Uh, a widow in that time, a poor widow, it, the two, two words at, at that time were related, right? Because for a woman in that day and age, all of her financial security is attached to her husband. And then if her husband dies, um, it's, it's her extended family. We're assuming that this woman doesn't have either, well, her, she's lost her husband, but doesn't have extended family to rely on either. So it really is her against the world. 
yet she comes into this extravagant, opulent room with these huge trumpets just sitting out of the, just coming out of the ground like flowers. They don't need her two cents. But yet she comes in faithfully and drops in two thin coins into one of these trumpets. The word for coin here is, is the word lepton. It literally means the thinnest one. The thinnest coin that you could, you could have at that time. Is she had two of those. That's all she had. The Bible makes a point to say it was everything. It was all she had to live on. It repeats it. wants us to, to get that. And she comes in and she drops it in to the trumpet. Nobody noticed except for Jesus. Except for the one who matters. Jesus says, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. She didn't hedge her bets. I mean, 50%, one of those coins would have been a lot for her, but she gave it all. She gave it all. And God saw that and smiled. Jesus saw that and smiled and praised her for what she had done, because her trust and her attention was not on everyone else in the room. It was only on God. And, and probably in her poverty, she had learned that the only one she could rely on was God. And so she was willing to give it all, in trust, in faith, faithfully to God. And God's favor rested with her and not the scribe. And so here's how I'm breaking it down this morning. God honors the faith of those who give everything and don't care who's watching. It's really simple. God honors the faith of those who... Like, this is, this is not about anybody else but her and God. Right? It's about her heart before God, before a holy God, before a loving God, not a cruel God. What I wish, I wish we had was a follow-up on this woman, like what happened six months later, how she was doing, but it's not in there. But the, the, the point is, is that, is that she trusted God with everything. And because we know God is good, we can assume that God took care of her, right? We can assume that God took care of her. The other thing I notice here is, is the cost of the gift. What God looks at is not the price tag. It's how much it costs to you, right? What it costs you. And it's different for everybody, right? It's different for everybody. But God knows how expensive our gifts are to us, what we give out, what it costs us. God doesn't look at the actual amount, only, only our heart in giving it. And guys, we don't give to a, a, a cruel God. Jesus poured out his life for us. Jesus is a couple days away from going to the cross and pouring out his blood on, on the earth so that all of us might be saved, right? So Jesus is looking at this, that I'm about to give everything. 
for the world. And here's a woman who gets it. And she's going to give everything to God. Everything, all in. That is love. And this widow got it. She knew the love of God. She knew the hope of God. And so the question for us is, do we know that hope? Do we know how much Jesus has done for us? Do we, do we live with the cross in mind? That reminder that, man, Jesus, you gave it all. You love us. Do we live in relationship to that God? Because that's a God who we can give it all away to. That we can live, um, that we, we can take risk for, right? Like faith and risk go together. I wish they didn't sometimes, but they do. There are going to be times in our lives where God asks us to have faith when things don't look so great. And you know what? we got to step, step over the line and trust God sometimes. It's not, our, our life here is not secure enough to think that God won't call us to great faith, right? God is going, if you follow God, he will put you in a situation that will require great faith, that will require holding on to hope when hope looks bleak, right? That's, that's where your obedience to Christ will lead you. It, it doesn't lead you to flowing robes and nice sneakers all the time, guys. It leads you to be on the edge, like your faith grows on the edge. Jesus, when the only plan is to trust God, like that is where our faith grows. That's what the widow got. She didn't have a plan, right? She trusted that God would provide, but her, that was all the hope of this world that she put into that trumpet, Right? The two coins, that's it. That's all she had. Her hope was in a God who would provide. Jehovah Jireh, that he would provide. In the book of Philippians, I want to kind of turn our attention to the book of Philippians because what, what we also need to, to realize is that, is that Jesus poured his life out for us. Uh, in such a way that it really cost him everything. If you read Philippians 2, it talks about Jesus pouring himself out, emptying himself. It was in stages, coming to earth and, and, and dying for us. But I want to bring attention to how Paul, where, where Paul points the church after describing how Christ poured himself out. This is, this is what Paul says, how to live in response to Jesus, who gave, to, to Jesus who gave everything for us. He says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that, my eyes drew to the words fear and trembling. I'm supposed to work out my salvation in fear and trembling. Does that mean we're supposed to, to cower before God, be afraid all the time? That word fear means terror. Like, we're supposed to live like the cross and resurrection just happened. Right? That we saw our Savior nailed to the cross that we saw him die for us. Like, can you imagine being there and, and how that would impact you? Like, I, I remember 
I remember it was 2003 when The Passion of the Christ came out. Has anybody seen that movie? That is an intense movie, right? It's not one you just pop in on a Friday night <laughs> with popcorn. It is intense. I remember the first time watching that just being broken. Like, why? Why would, why would God do that for me? Why would he allow his son to suffer like that for me? You know, why would Jesus bear the weight of the world on his shoulders? We don't have an answer for that other than that Jesus loves us and, and is, is so far above us. He is holy. He is totally different. Perfect God. But I remember the terror that that struck in my heart. And like, oh man, I need to live in light of this gift that Jesus gave me. Fear and trembling. That word trembling, it means like awe. Like we don't understand it, but we're supposed to live in awe of it. So we're supposed to live our lives in, in light of this glorious, scandalous, tragic, but also the like we sang about before, Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose again three days later. So we live in this living hope. But what Jesus did there means everything for us. He covered our sin, he, and he invites us into new life in him. Like, all of our lives revolve around that event. And it's not something that we leave or create a platform on. It's something we live in. And there's freedom in living in that. There's the freedom of forgiveness there's the freedom of grace. There's the freedom of, 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 of control. Like, I don't have to be in control. Like, Jesus, you are. You are. Like, everything for your glory, God. Another chapter I thought of, or a verse I thought of, is I was thinking about the poor widow. So there's this fear and trembling we're supposed to live in. But then also, what did Jesus, how did Jesus call us to live? Well, Jesus didn't call us to all be poor, but he did say in Matthew 5.1, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And I found this this week. There's a pastor named Rich Velotis, and he, he, uh, he posted this, and I thought, man, this is so good. I'm going to steal it and end my message with it this week. Um, but he said this. He said, those who are poor in spirit have... Nothing to prove, nothing to protect, nothing to possess. Jesus says the kingdom belongs to these kind of people. People free enough for God to receive the abundance of, uh, free enough for God to receive the abundance of God's life. I love that, that if we're poor in spirit, that means we have nothing to prove. Jesus did it all. Like a, a life in Christ is a life of gratitude. All I have to do is live in gratitude of what Jesus has done and what he is doing. Uh, if you read Acts and you read how the church was encouraged in the book of Acts, it was all testimony. It was the, the, the uh, apostles coming back and sharing all the things that God had done. Like, that's it. Like, all we have to do is just live in gratitude to God of what he has done and what he is doing. And share those things too. 
because that's what encourages and uplifts the church, is that report. Nothing to protect. Man, I'll tell you, I, there are certain things that I hold on to tightly, right? I think one thing we can all relate to, maybe, maybe you have this overflowing generous heart, but gener generosity has been a learned thing for me. And sometimes I hold on to my finances really, really tight, right? And especially in like hard economic times, it can be really easy to just really hold on to, to our finances, really hold on to our wealth and start thinking about tomorrow. Even though Jesus said, don't, don't think about tomorrow, tomorrow will take care of itself. We can still live with a, with a tight grip on our finances because we're only thinking about tomorrow and not what God wants to do today. Nothing to protect and nothing to possess. You know why we don't have to possess anything? Because God already owns it. Jesus, uh, before he ascended to the Father, said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus owns it. Jesus is in control. Jesus knows where you're at. All right? He knows the situations you're dealing with, and he is in control. We trust Jesus and his authority. And his authority. Nothing to possess. That means we all live open-handed. If something changes, it's okay. Because you know what else Jesus said? He said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That is actually the reward of scripture. It's the presence of God. It's experiencing the presence of God. The biggest, the biggest revelation in heaven will be the, 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 uh, the, that we will get to be face-to-face -face with God. We get to live in the presence of God. And I like how Rich used this word free, that we live free enough. The point of being poor in spirit is to live free, to not, to not live with clutched hands and a closed heart, but to live openly, to live openly, to, to, to allow, to help people with what God has given us right? Everything we have is God's. That's, that's how God wants us to live. And, uh, yeah, I mean, this, this uh, woman knew that her inheritance was with God, right? She had lost everything, and she knew, but I have a great inheritance with God, so I'm going to invest, invest there. So, church, as we, as we wrap up today, I, I just, want to, uh, just want to challenge us to live freely with what God has given us. Because that's what God favors when we are able to live in his abundance, not our scarcity. Right, when we're able to live and know that he is abundant, he will provide, he will make a way. Uh, it, even when, when we can't see uh, we, when we can't see the road ahead. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Lord, thank you for revealing the truth to us, God. This is a difficult passage to preach because it's not just, sometimes it's not so obvious uh, when we're living in obedience and, and when we're not, God. Sometimes the sin of hypocrisy creeps in. God, sometimes... The, the, the sin of trying to live before people um, in, in, a, in a big way sneaks in, God. And our, it has so much to do with our motives. Uh, 
Lord, I pray that you would make us a giving people. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to give freely um, of ourselves. Lord, that you would lead us, uh, God, into uh, fellowship with each other, fellowship with you, trusting you for everything. Lord, build the faith of this church. God, build our faith. Lord, help us to look to you for everything and, uh, and trust you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, we're going to close in worship. Um, I did want to ask you to be praying um, for our building situation. Um, we're, uh, we have a kind of a, speaking of giving, we have a, a gap in our, our finances. We're trying to renew our lease for a year. We have maybe some things brewing, but just be praying for that situation. I know that's vague. There's more details to come that I will share with you, but um, just be praying. And, and uh, if God does prompt you to give, please, please give. So thank you. Um, let's stand and worship this morning.